A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. It's mentally yours from Ellen and Yvette. Focus on your mental health, you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Hi everyone and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly mental health podcast. I'm Yvette. And I'm Ellen. And today we have a kind of special episode to talk about Mental Health Awareness Week with our guest editor for the week, Russell Kane. He's going to be looking after Metro.co.uk's tech section this week. So we're going to talk to him about tech addiction, mental health in general, and his various views and opinions all about mental well-being. So, Russell, welcome to Mentally Yours and thank you for joining us. I'll dive straight in there with the kind of big question, which is, what's your mental health story kind of from childhood to now? What's been your mental health journey? Um, I suppose on my mental health journey, you could probably draw an equivalent with some sort of um, 70-year-old gammon man who's just realised that uh, gender and uh, race exists. It's not that he was ever meant to be in the dark, but it just took a bit of shaking to wake him up. What I mean by that is I've never realised there was – any there's such a thing as mental health or it was something you would look at or examine or think about it was just not in my lexicon in the same way that the politics of uh, gender and race are not in the lexicon of the generation that came before me so I've been sort of sh- uh, shaken and awoken in the last 10 years about that that that's even a thing one might have pondered on so anything I answer to you will be a going back and coloring in with knowledge that's been acquired after I suppose, mm. 2006, 2007. How valid is it? Uh, I'm always nervous about going, but looking back, I was, because I have no memories of any what mental ill health, of, of, of feeling distressed, of needing to see a, a psychologist or a psychiatrist, of needing medication, of thinking something was wrong. 
But if we teleported my whole childhood and all the same experiences so that I'd been born 30 years later, would I have the same opinions 30 years after that point? Who knows? Mm. So I think it's really careful when people are going back and, and looking at their mental health, not to grow trauma retrospectively that wasn't there. Mm. I'm massive, massively behind loads of discussion, more discussion. But the deeper I've gone into this world, the more I've realised there is a danger of sometimes um, picking scabs where there's no cut underneath. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So I'm really careful to go, I think maybe I was, because my honest answer was until about 10 years ago, it's not even a subject that even crossed my mind. That's the God's honest truth. What was it that woke you up, so to speak? What made you suddenly go, okay? I headbutted a plate and hospitalised myself, and that's a true answer. Uh, I got, I, I just, I lost my temper basically one one night, and uh, it, it's, I mean, it's funny now. It's just my what you're going to have to deal with it. Everything I talk about, I will try mint into humour, even if it's death, mental ill health. That's just my lens, the way I process things. Um, but I mean, I'd always, I'd always had a bit of a, like, I don't really have any kinks in my personality. I'm too busy running around trying to make people laugh. But the one problem I had was this temper with inanimate objects. I know it sounds ridiculous. I went all the way through school and life without even, I mean, even having a fight with a, another boy my age. It's just, I've never been involved in any sort of physical violence of any description. I wouldn't even, I might, uh, when I was younger, have, flicked one of the cat's ears if it was being really naughty like when I was a teenager that's it that's my total experience with physical violence but if I couldn't find my keys if a computer malfunctioned you would not want to be that inanimate object so I had like an an irrational violent reaction (laughs) to my mechanical or solid world going wrong but the reaction would always be to that object i'm sure it would be very scary to whatever girlfriend i was with at the time although mm. i didn't really ever date any girls that would be scared by that i dated more girls that go what are you doing you bell end and walk out that's my type um <clears throat> so yeah i never realized that was an issue really but it was a big one and the reason it was a big one is sometimes it would be on the cusp of could I say for sure when, for example, I was out with my girlfriend and we had this big argument and I decided I wanted to punch the uh, the shop shutter uh, next to me um, or something like that. So that would be a rare example of where an argument spun out of control and then my anger has become unmanageable. Always turned on myself, never even a twinge of wanting to hurt someone or a stranger. And I would like hit the... Uh, say the shutter of a shop it just sticks in my mind because there's a scar on my arm for it while I'm talking to you Mm. now when I hit that shutter on that shop is it just generic working class male failed to learn regulation taken too many drugs bell-end behavior or was mixed into it a little bit of I know I'm going to really injure myself when I do that and I'm quite looking forward to it as a way of getting release from these emotions and I think sometimes it was on the cusp of the latter um, this was in my twenties, so I, I yes, the, say the, let's keep it a little bit of a less scary situation. This, this my Mac, not a Mac, it wouldn't have been a Mac back then. A PC laptop's not working. I'm going to punch the screen. Glass might go in my knuckles. Good. So you see, see what I mean? It's on the cusp. Mm. The primary drive is to destroy the computer, but mate, there was a good old thirty twenty percent twinge of wistful hoping for self harming. Now, self harming amongst men is a lot rarer we don't know why it's just it's a more female behavior um but that fits with everything else i've ever done in my life 
Um, so it's quite an unusual thing to do. Men to tend to lash out to others rather than against themselves with that behavior. I think it's seen as a little bit effeminate sort of thing. It's an effeminate thing to do. Um, so it was on the cusp. And then the worrying thing for me was as I was getting older, that that's, and you grow out of as well. If anyone wants to Google like self-harming um, or any other type goth type mental illness you might have had as a teenager, um, it's most like nine, 90% of people stop doing it in their 20s. It's something you grow out of. It's very, very rare for a man to do it and to, and to do it later. But mine was ramping up. What I mean by that is by the time we get to maybe 30 years old, I sort of know I'm going to hurt my fist if I punch the laptop and that becomes the primary purpose. So there was definitely a crossover and it's the only thing I had wrong with me. I had no depression. I had no sort of bipolar behaviors. I was earning amazing money. My relationships were functional, always great relationships with great women. They just run their course. I just had this weird explosive personality trait. It wasn't every week. It might not have even been once a month, but uh, between six to eight times a year, this volcano would erupt and it was getting increasingly more dangerous. And I have no idea what was driving it. Um, Once you get to about 32, 33, it starts to become a bit embarrassing if you've got Mm. like a teenager type thing. It's like what I imagine people who've like still got bulimia in their 30s feel like it becomes with... um, sort of an embarrassment that you've still got it. It's, it's like a still having acne or something. That's the only way I could describe it. And I was with, uh, it was probably my most serious relationship before the relationship that turned out to be the lifelong one I'm in now. We, He said, hopefully, <laughs> how we laugh when we play this in 10 years and I'm on my fourth wife. No. Uh, so uh, I w- we were eating Chinese tea. By now I'd done some weird shit, like stabbed a pencil in my arm and, and stuff like that just because I'd lost my temper. I mean, I, I know it sounds crazy. I don't very often talk about this stuff because I'm a comedian mm. at the end of the day. I'm supposed to make people feel good. It's because if you say self-harming, you get put in the same part as people who are self-harmers. And I mm. wasn't like, I just want attention. or It was it was the opposite. Did not want um any sort of attention. I didn't, it was not a cry for help. This was just temper that could not be controlled, which I never read about that form of self-injury ever. I only ever hear about, I was just so sad on the inside. I needed to hurt myself to be seen. I didn't have any of that shit. I'm like, where's my keys? Right. I'm going to smash my fist in till I find my keys. There was no, there's no interesting, complex psychological journey in between that where I'm expressing the grief of my childhood it's a Mm. whatever part of I believe it's a mechanical thing the part of the brain that regulates where you're taught to regulate your temper as a baby it's it's more common in working class boys normally without dads or sometimes working class boys of immigrant communities have this inability to they've not been taught self-regulation which is why you can't stop yourself doing certain impulsive things in your teens and you get into trouble and stuff like that I mean, I was a reckless teen, but I just got away with it. So I just think that whatever part of my brain, you know, the bit that stops you, the same bit that's broken in a Tourette's and makes them say cunt and fuck at the traffic lights. Um, that bit was obviously just not working in me. And instead mm. of getting better, it's getting worse. And that was scary. So, yeah, I'd done about, I'd done a couple of previews. I mean, it's so, it's so ridiculous. I will do this as stand up one day. I'm almost ready because it's been 10 10, 11, 11 years now, I'm almost ready to start taking the piss out of this stuff. Um, but I, we, I, we were eating Chinese takeaway quite calmly, me and my um, missus at the time, my, my partner at the time, who by now was used to 
these things as you know they were just thinking, they didn't ever inconvenient myself I wouldn't even break other people's stuff it was my stuff mm. so I find myself with women that go well I'll give you a space and when that storm's blown itself out and it would never be more than 10 or 20 seconds but by the end of it I would have cost myself money so we're eating our Chinese takeaway and I lost uh, I can't remember what had happened something stupid where we weren't even bickering or I'd lost something or something had gone wrong. I can't even remember what the trigger was. But I headbutted the plate I was eating off in front of me. It would make a, it would make a funny scene in a sort of Ken Loach black comedy type way. And as I headbutted this plate, unfortunately, I headbutted it at the wrong angle and it cut my head. I've never seen blood spray so dramatically from such a tiny oh, injury. God. It was tiny, pathetic. I wasn't as injured as I thought. Well, I didn't know that at the time, of course. I've seen go like, like you've gone through a main vein across the wall. I couldn't see because blood was in my eye. So I thought I'd blinded myself. So I'm on the kitchen floor. I blinded myself, call an ambulance. And then I um, thought I'd cracked my skull but it was actually special fried rice that was in my hair. So I thought I was picking my skull. I thought I'd blinded myself and I was picking my skull out of my head. Of course, I ended up in casualty. I had to lie to everyone like some sort of abused spouse about why I had stitches in my head. I had to fake a fall. Uh, I had to go to Edinburgh with stitches in my head and a portion of my hair shaved off. Uh, And I thought, you know what? (laughs) And that's enough is enough because mm. I hadn't mean, I never meant to hurt myself to that extent. Um, but, and it was always an accident when it went that far. It was never a kind of, I'm going to, I never meant to draw blood ever from myself, but mm. inevitably I did through lack of control. And that was when I went, that is never, ever ever going to happen again and that's when I went did a Hoffman process so I didn't go and see a mental health professional because I just all my friends who've taken chemicals for it it's just a temporary thing and going mm-hmm. to see a psychologist once a week and then you're back out onto the street an hour later with your crazy world what good is that I wanted something intense quick shocking residential done in under under 10 days that's the way I work when I learn a language when I do anything I'm, I'm sort of SAS in and out and so I just started googling and that's when I found out about the Hoffman process and uh, it was you know I did it in the September so I did the um the Hoffman I did the Edinburgh in the August obviously and then that September 2009 I did the residential Hoffman game changer what what is the Hoffman um, you can, yeah, put, I would say put a link to the, the yeah. resource in the thing. The Hoffman process, it's not very celeb although celebs have done it. It's not like Glamorousy mm. Priory with your, with your printed jacket and shit like that. But neither is it sort of a padded cell excrement on the wall end. It's somewhere in the middle. Um, it's, I heard about it through the DJ Goldie because I'm banging to my dance music, which is probably how I fucked my brain up, to be honest. And um, it's, I think the key difference is I've t- you sign an, an NDA when you go in. And the reason you sign an NDA is if I tell you any of the things that happen, if any of your listeners want to do it, it would be spoiled because the surprise and the shock of what happens to you is part of the, I hate using the word oh. therapy, it's so Americanized and ruined, process, part of the process. Mm. The main thing that's different is your phone is taken off of you and there's no access to the outside world for eight days. You're in a beautiful manor house, but that's it. There's nothing. You can't phone. You're not allowed to exercise. You actually tell you not to masturbate. Um, you're not allowed to sort of do massage on each other. Nothing that distracts. No books. Um, obviously, no films. There's no TV. So it's only about the process, which starts at 7 a.m. every morning and stops when you drop. 
I will say it's riddled with the most cringe, mockable, <laughs> American-style shit that I would make fun of until I had a sore throat from laughing before I did it. And I was so far out of my comfort zone. I needed a life raft at all time. Group stuff, which I can't stand. I want my own sort of expensive therapist with the door shut and no one listening to my shit. I'm very private with stuff like that, even though you wouldn't think about it the way I've just gone on. Um, so it's set around in a circle and sharing, Ugh, vomit, there's a lot of that. Um, and then there's physical stuff, which a lot of therapy, people want to sit in a chair or pop a pill and think that's going to be enough. It's like newsflash. If you want to make real changes to your life, you should break a sweat, whether you're exercising daily, changing your diet. It should, it's supposed to be hard in a good way. All work should be hard in a good way. Don't sit back. You're not going to read a book. You're not going to listen to this podcast. You're not going to make any changes to your life worthwhile by doing any of that shit. It's about what a real, a real aggression that you want to hit the work with, even if you're in a bad state. And that's what was great about it. You're just sort of shamed into doing these cringy activities together till obviously by the end of the week, I've gone completely native. Unsurprised I wasn't speaking Californian. And then when I was discharged on the, uh, discharged when we've been graduated on the mm. eighth day, you go out, you're a bit of a, can I use the C word? You're a bit of a, you already have. You're a bit of a, you're a bit of a cunt for a, for a couple of weeks because you're like one of the, you know, one of these Buddhist people that have a blank look in their eyes and everything's amazing. I'm surprised mm. I didn't get chinned on my first uh, week. And then you integrate the, the, the stuff you've learned slowly meshes with your own personality until I became me again, completely normally. Cause that's the other thing I was scared about. If I use my aggression, lose my aggression and kinks, how can I be Lee Evans on steroids, which is basically my income. Um, but yeah, I was fine and touch wood to this day. I've never, ever done anything like that once ever again. Don't get me wrong. Like anyone listening to this podcast and like all people on it, including the production team, I can slam a door. <laughs> I can throw a drink down. I can, uh, storm out. I could probably stomp up a stair slightly harder than I should. I don't medicalize that. That's just normal humans. If you don't have a temper at all, I envy you, but I'm not you. Um, but never any weird shit never again not once the other the other weird thing that came out of it i didn't realize i didn't i, I don't think whether you i think you could call this emotional health i didn't hug people I, i'm I, because i come from a council estate you don't we don't kiss each other on the cheek and hug each other goodbye like you know lockdown's been a piece of piss for working class people we, you know we don't we never even touched elbows before we just wave at the door and walk out we don't do double cheek kisses and shake hands of our mates we go from across the room so there's no difference for us but where I'd grown up, I'd grown up with an inability. Now that I was mixing in middle-class showbiz circles and I was dating posh girls, you, you sort of hug your friends on the way out, which I found really uncomfortable. You're either in a sexual relationship with someone or you don't touch them at all. That's that's how I was brought up. Um, but that's gone out the window. Now I'm the most tactile, friendly person you'll ever meet. Oh my God, I'd love to see you, babe. Give me a hug. You know, that's me now. That That was the other permanent change, permanent from that day, which is a weird side effect. So there's obviously something else there that had not been a circuit that hadn't been activated but that was sociological that that's a that's a class thing there's loads of people from my background that are like that and now I'm like double cheek kiss and everything do you mind talking about your brother a bit um again because I wonder how you feel about the treatment that he's received over the years I have to be a little bit careful the only reason I talk about my brother at all is to further the cause um I'm an ambassador for rethink uh, all of my charity money I ever raise goes there or prince's trust which 
is linked to rethink. So they're my, the only two things I ever do. I'm only, I'm only interested in that uh, because I feel like you can do more good if you're raising money, if you just do it all for one charity. I don't know how much I've raised, not millions, but thousands. Um, and so I do mention James just to let you know, I'm not just some, you know, twat that went on a course and fixed his things. So me and my mum live with hardcore, real, um, I think we need to make a distinction between psychiatric and psychological issues. Um, so we've lived, you know, with deep, deep, disturbing psychiatric illness. But I can, can I speak so much because my brother, unfortunately, is so unwell, he can't sort of consent or process the fact of me talking about him, sadly. So I can only go so far with you. Um, he's Anyone listening to this, if you're able to listen to this and go, oh, my God, you make it sound so easy, Russell. I've got mental health issue, but I need blah. You've already done 90% of the work as you have insight into the fact you have a problem. There are people out there, really ill people, who have no insight. They would go, well, I'm not depressed. What are you talking about? Why are you playing me this podcast? They are deeply, deeply screwed because until you have insight into the fact you have a problem, you can't fix it. And sadly, my, my, my brother has no, does not know he is ill which means it cannot be fixed on any level. Same as a smoker who's like, well, I like to sit smoking. It's not an issue for me. They will never quit. Never, mm. never. I have no insight. Um, so, yeah, it's, I can only go so far. Do you see what I mean? I mean, I'm happy to mm. sort of give you those details and say, you know, my brother's very ill and he lives, he doesn't live independently, for example. You can't, you know, it's that it's that bad. Hopefully there's not many people living, living listening to this podcast who don't even have independent living on their on their CV of life, but sadly my brother doesn't. On a complete kind of topic swap, I know that you mentioned as part of Hoffman and in general um, that you gave up your phone. And I know that you've spoken about um, internet addiction. How has that kind of played into things? When did you realise maybe you might have an issue with internet use? Well, the weird thing is, the same time I'm recording this with you guys, I'm um, guest editing the Metro tech page um so you will know that this is an area i'm looking at and one of the stories i wanted to look at was to speak to someone who really know their stuff about whether it truly is an addiction whether we should even mm. use that word and it still isn't it's still frowned on to use that word it, um so we can't yet say mobile phone addiction without a little bit of blowback so we should probably say that first anyone who out there is recovering from opioid addiction mm -hmm. we're not trying to belittle what you're going through we just don't yet have a language for this compulsive would maybe a better word compulsive yeah. phone use i mean i've been through the there's a dsm checklist for addiction i think there's 11 things on it uh, you can look it up on google now those of you using your phone for more than four hours a week with an inability to stop tell me how many of those things on the list it doesn't affect. It's not many. It's one or two. It's close. The only one I would say mobile phone uh, compulsion doesn't tick is a devastating effect on your life where your life starts to fall apart and you lose your job and lose your partner and everything. Mm. But what I said to the psychologist I was speaking to yesterday, maybe it does have that effect long term. We just can't measure mm. it yet. Who knows what 20 years of me comparing my bum to Rihanna's is actually going to do to my brain. It's just because I don't ha um, have a breakdown or empty my bank account and rob uh, Argos where the Argos warehouse five years after using my phone doesn't mean my marriage, my self worth, and won't fall down. And an eating disorder might not might arise ten years down the line. We just don't know because 
as the psychologist explained to me yesterday, most people listening to this will be digital immigrants, i.e. people mm. that can remember 1997. If you can remember 1997, you're a digital immigrant. That means you had a period of your life where you just maybe had a normal mobile, you didn't use the internet, things were just non-digital. And we've immigrated into fully digital lives. But people that can't remember 97, that were born sort of after 2000, they're digital natives. They know no different. So what effect will it have constant compulsive use of phone is it altering our brains the way addiction does i.e the dopamine pathway and reward center who knows all i know is i can't stay off the fucking thing and every week my screen time is up how can it be up by 10 percent every week i thought percent only had 100 in it but every week it's up by 10 percent to the point i mean the type of behaviors i think are unhealthy is when you go yeah i'm just gonna go to the toilet i mean most men now i don't know if, if you girls know this most men now are having sit down wheeze just mm. so they can use their phone on the toilet. The, the stand-up we is dying out. Most, I think most women who cohabit with a man will be glad to hear this. Uh, but I, 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 just don't, I just don't do. I do not do a stand-up we anymore. Do you know why? Because I check my phone every single loo visit, whatever the variety of loo visit. Uh, I can't queue anymore. I don't know anyone who queues or uses a, an elevator without phew, phone comes out like a defensive shield as you step in the elevator. I mean, these are things we did naturally just 10 years ago. You could stand in a queue. I can't imagine standing in a queue on my own without a book, without anything. It's mm. inconceivable to me. I think that's pretty fucked up actually. And the, the consequences of constantly being on your phone is of course, I don't think we're designed to compare ourselves to a thousand people every few hours. I think we're designed mm. to compare ourselves maybe to a oh, hi Ellen. Hi, that's it. Two, three people a day in the office. There's my cousin down the road. Uh, he's got a nicer car than me. That hurts a bit, but I can live with it. My neighbor's got a bigger a driveway than me. Oh, I hate that. But you know, it's one driveway. You're not supposed to be stalking your friend who moved to Miami when she was 16 and going, oh my God, she's got new boobs. They're bigger than mine. My life's miserable. You shouldn't even know what, you know, mm. Helena's boobs look like who lives in Miami. It shouldn't be part of your knowledge, but it is. Uh, you shouldn't know, um, guys, whether Dave's still got his hair because you haven't seen Dave since you were 23, but you are looking at Dave's crown and how lusciously hairy he is and wondering how he's doing it. You know, we're not designed to compare ourselves to these people. And I think it's that that fucks people up with this phone usage. So there's two aspects to it, the compulsive picking it up and using it, and then the negative self-perception physical effects of being on it the whole time, of physically comparing yourself to people, of economically comparing yourself to people that you shouldn't be. Have you found yourself um, picking up technology um, a lot more over the past few lockdowns? How have you found the past year in general in terms of your mental health? Yeah, well, I, I'm one of the unfortunate ones in that my business has moved completely, uh, not just online, which everyone's has, but onto social media. So if I want to be funny about Boris Johnson's speech that he's just done, like lockdown 2.0, I did this speech, I think about a million people watched it. If I want to get there first, I'm not going to wait until I'm doing some socially distanced filming of Mock the Week in three weeks' time. I'm certainly not going to get to say it on a stage because all the theatres are closed. So you're straight online. And you can't just post a video, mm -hmm. but you've got to be in the comments arguing and having a bit of banter because that drives, you know, the interaction with your content. So it's just nonstop. It's nonstop. TikTok as well now, Twitter on there, checking the comments. How many views did that get? Oh my God, how popular was that video? I'm not like, how popular am I like a teenager? But, you know, it is an unhealthy obsession with numbers and content. There's nothing I can do about it. 
Has it affected my mental health? I've got to be honest. I think I've been, no, I know no one wants to hear this, but I've, I've probably been happier during lockdown just purely because the main challenge in my life before some selfish fucker ate a bat was, uh, was the travel. I just spent my life crouched in the back of a car eating dinner and missing my daughter and Lindsay the whole time. Well, that's gone from my life. So the two, the only two things that made me miserable, wanting to be at home and sleep in my own bed and see my baby and, and see Lindsay, um, have gone. So the level of happiness increase on that side has far outweighed the overuse of my phone. <laughs> How do you manage though, if you are noticing maybe I'm on my phone or I'm on the internet a bit too much because it is, it's part of your job. You have to be on the internet. So how do you manage I that? I don't. You I, don't. <laughs> I'm a functioning alcoholic, I would say. Mm. I lived with one for three years, lived with my nan. She drank herself to death. Uh, who was just like, I well, know I'm pissed. Everything's great. I'm getting my job done. I just live with it. She drink vodka mm. at 6am and she drank it at 6pm every day. Uh, and I'm like that with my phone. I'm just a mess on it the whole time. And that's the way it is. Uh, so if I... I mean, things I really hate. So, for example, great new film was dropped on Netflix today called, um, what's it called? Stowaway, with two of my favourite actors in it. Um, Tony Collette's the lead. She's, and it's just, it's the type of shit I love, like space mystery. Mm. I'm just a typical, like, nerdy boy. And I know that at some point, if I don't leave my phone in the bedroom or the kitchen, I will go on my phone in the middle of an hour and 40 mm. minutes of sheer cinematic pleasure. I've got this gigantic drop down screen. I paid a fortune for a projector, a room's blacked out. I should be lost. Like I would be at the cinema. I literally will not be able to stop myself going on my phone during that film. The only way I can do it is if I leave my phone upstairs and then laziness stops me. I still turn to look for my phone. It's not that I think oh, I can't be fucked to move the cats on my lap. And then I, then I'll be all right. So it's the only way, really. Like, it's the same way a smoker can't smoke on a plane. When we've had experts speaking on this sort of thing before, they've kind of mentioned things like, I don't know, set times for going on social media and things like shutting it away for the weekend. But it is hard, isn't it, when you've got the sort of job where you are kind of meant to be be kind of constantly into it. I mean, it's sort of like journalism. You're sort of meant to be constantly aware of what's going on in the news. When the theatres reopen, I'm getting out. I'll be getting that out of my system in a healthy way. I was just born to take the piss out of stuff and make joke. I I literally put on this earth for one purpose. I don't want to do anything else. I just want to stand on stage and swear at strangers for two hours, three times a week. It's absolute heaven. Um, So I have to get that ego hit out through socials. Um, I do do all those things you've said, but I'm just it's intermittent. It's like a, a diet that fails every that works for a bit and fails. So I did for a few weeks, no, no phones on Sunday. And then one day I realized, Oh my God, it's Sunday. I've been on my phone all day. And I just hadn't realized it was Sunday. Um, I do do all those things. Lindsay's got two phones, which works for her. So she kept her old iPhone and that has her social on and that only works on Wi-Fi. And then the main phone in her pocket's got WhatsApp and a phone on it. Um, that's something I should mm-hmm. get going. So you, you have your, like your social media phone that's just at home or it is in the office with you, but you've got to get it out of a drawer and go on it. If you're in the queue for the toilet, when you whip your phone, you're like, ah, it's not on there. I like the sound of that. That sounds very celebby, if nothing well, you else, keep, you know, you oh, this is my social phone. phone. You just keep your old phone next time you upgrade. They only give you a penny for it anyway. Anyone's got a smashed up old iPhone in their drawer or a smashed up old phone, or even just buy a cheapy phone. They're like 20 quid, the cheapy pay-as-you-go ones, and just use it just on Wi-Fi. We've managed not to talk about Mental Health Awareness Week yet, um, which is what we're here to chat to you a bit about the the theme of it this year is nature. So 
I wanted to ask you a bit about how you connect with nature or if you do at all and if you find that that helps in terms of mental health stuff. Matt, it definitely does. Um, I think I can't decide whether I'm more, people tend to be like a forest or an ocean, don't they? Um, but I can equally just love to be in both just in nature. One of my favorite things to do is camping. My daughter has the bug as well. She's five. So it's not the most pleasant experience being kicked by a five-year-old and we see the birds start singing and it gets bright by 4am. We have done gar- garden camping though. And we camped in the shed just a few nights ago. I'm lucky I live in a, got a relatively large garden. I am on just a normal housing estate which incidentally is another part of me keeping my feet on the ground in this business. Um, We're moving to another house, a slightly nicer house, but I said to Lindsay, it will still be in a road. I want to see a neighbor. I want to see people opposite because you can disappear up your ass in my business. So while I like nature, I wouldn't buy like a big show off country house in nature because I'm terrified of forgetting who I am or becoming like a, like a bell, a bell end basically. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I know that most people have the skill to do that, but I, I don't, I don't think I could be like authentic on stage and say my mum, my dad, my council house, if I was going home to grounds or anything, and the whole thing's a false economy because obviously my bank account with the amount of tour days I do in the stand up, I do, I could probably move to a house like that if I wanted, but I keep things normal. Like, yeah, I don't really wear designer clothes. My car's nice, but it's normal. I love normal things, but I do love being in nature. So I tend to do that in a holiday way rather than a life way. Um, I can't just live rural, modest rural, because then I can't get anywhere for stand up. Uh, you know, if I was genuinely stuck out in the stick somewhere. Um, so, yeah, I do. I do absolutely love being in nature. I, I'm lucky in that. I wouldn't call myself an ex extrovert in the clinical sense extroverts need people to recharge that's the definition of an extrovert you need people so I need it for my work my creative part of my ego I need hundreds of people that I've never met before to laugh at me after that I literally don't need anyone I can do three days in a hotel room with a pile of books and I'm so happy I have the gift of an absolute pathological love of books literature and films I mean it's one of my greatest pleasures in life so as much as I love nature I can go anywhere with a book and I I could probably do a couple of days before I got bored inside, as long as I had a pile of books. And final question, going back to Mental Health Awareness Week and obviously Metro, who you're being the tech editor for for the week. Um, why? Why is it important for you to be doing mental health awareness? And specifically, why do you want to talk about tech? What do you want us to know? I fell into the mental health awareness world because of my brother. So I came in from the more serious psychiatric end of fundraising and trying to get rid of stigma who people who might sit next to you on the bus or near you on the bus and they don't look right or they're laughing to themselves or staring into space. And because we have all these horrific stories of people with samurai swords killing people in shopping centres, we just think all people with severe mental illness are going to do that. It's a form of prejudice, really. It's just like it's racism, but reskinned for mental health. You look at someone, you make a judgment, you're scared of them. So that's how I got into it. But once I got into it, that was like the gateway thing to realise, well, there's loads of other areas I can talk about. And it's just, I'm not, obviously female mental health is really important. And we, <laughs> we, we know the horrible things that happen to women and to do around body image and maternity and 
We've seen tragic stories in the news just last week with Nikki Graham. But the fact of the matter is, for whatever reason, men kill themselves a lot, 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 lot more than women. I don't know what the figure is. It might even be seven times more. Um, the thing most likely to kill me is not prostate cancer. It's not testicular cancer. It's not obesity. It's not going out on the lash and getting hit by a car. It's killing myself. That's the thing mm. most likely to kill a man. So for all the important, wonderful work that goes on in female mental health, and I could have got involved in that as well and been an ally to those causes, and I try to be. For me, I'm as a curious, mischievous type person, I ask the question, well, why? You know, we're t- I've been brought up in a generation where men and women are the same. We're equal. Um, so that I don't believe, apart from the obvious dangly bits hanging off my body, there are no differences between men and women, really. We're the same thing. Just one's got one's got a womb, one hasn't. Other than that, it's pretty... You know, there are no differences. So it's cultural. Something's going wrong with boys, with men. Mm. Um, and that's opened out recently into... I think feminism, without getting too like right on and lefty guys, keep listening. I think (laughs) feminism is starting to realise that, oh shit, if we don't fix men, feminism can only go so far because unless you want to live in a female commune with no men whatsoever, and I'm sure many women do, good luck to you, I wouldn't blame you. um, You have to live with husbands, boys, sons, cousins, male colleagues, and if men are, are like pervy, a combination of either pervy and gropey or depressed and killing themselves, it's an issue for everyone. So something's going wrong with how we educate our young men about sex. By young men, I mean boys, I mean children, six, seven, eight years old, need to be taught about sex, consent, and and talking when they get older. Whatever teenage hormones kick in, combined with the toxic culture of men keep their problems in, and that is a killer. To me, it's not a coincidence that you can track the deadliness of male cancers in comparison to the deadliness of female cancers. I mean, as far as I understand, prostate cancer is not more deadly than breast cancer in itself, but it will kill more men because men are less likely to talk about a lump, a pain, an issue, get an inspection. And it's exactly the same for their mental health. The guy that's racked up a load of debt at Ladbrokes who's shagged a prostitute because he's unhappy and he's keeping it all in, he's more likely to implode and hang himself and less likely to share. That's what I'm passionate about. And the more we're on these phones and the more we're not sharing properly and the more we're not authentic, the worse it's going to be. So I even make a show called, um, it's called Man Baggage. (laughs) I've just retitled it. It was called Boys Don't Cry. I've retitled it Man Baggage, where I force a panel of men to talk about the things we never hear men talk about. It's very funny. It's always very funny. Some of the subjects are quite light. Like today's recording, we're going to talk about unwanted habits and how they're gendered and how men, why is it okay for a man to fight in public and not for a woman? And then we laugh and then we think, well, hang on a second, what the fuck is actually going on there? You know, it's a permission for a sort of Neanderthalness in men, which isn't always helpful. So, yeah, I got into it because I'm like, well, why? It's not fair that more men die than women. It shouldn't be that way. And it's not fair that, you know, if I just to bring Jermaine Greer in a time machine from the 60s to now, women shouldn't have made the progress they made. Well, my opinion of why, femi- why feminism hasn't got as far as it has is because we haven't looked at men enough. The solution is there. Um, there's only so far you can go going, I'm just going to fix myself. If you don't start to look at the people around you, the the society you live in, then there's always going to be unequal pay. There's always going to be gropey, pervy weirdos, and there's always going to be depressed men in your life. So we need to work on that. And I think, do you know what? In the last couple of years, 
I've seen a real change. When I started making Boys Don't Cry four or five years ago, there was a bit of a tut from a certain type of woman. And that mm-hmm. tut was, oh, God, we can't even have female mental health. Now, why can't we? It's got nothing to do with you, men. These are women's problems. There's nothing wrong with masculinity. Look at history. History, men have had the power for long enough, completely missing the point. The very foundations of female strength can be enhanced by fixing the hairy bellends that are going wrong next to them. Men. So that's, that's, that's my strategy. So this is goodbye from mentally yours. So go away, enjoy your day, get on with all your chores from mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. If you've been affected by any of the issues we've discussed today, you can give the Samaritans and Ring on 116123. If you like Mentally Yours, you can also find us on Twitter. We're at MentallyYRS. We also have a lovely Facebook group, which is just called Mentally Yours. And if you really liked us, you could do us a massive favour and give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. It's much appreciated. Uh, helps us, you know, continue doing what we're doing. So please do rate and review and check back in next week for more Mentally Yours. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.